I have always kind of relied on you can control the activities, but you can't necessarily control the outcome when it comes to fundraising. From Virtuous, I'm Noah Barnett, and this is the Responsive Fundraising Podcast, a show where we talk with fundraising leaders and thinkers to uncover how today's top nonprofits craft remarkable donor experiences and build lasting relationships at scale. On this episode, I'm joined by Jake Smith. He's the executive director of Blood Water Mission, an organization that's really advocating to provide clean water and health and sanitation to the millions of people around the world that lack basic access to clean water and sanitation. Jake has been a two-time leader at the Blood Water Mission and has recently come back in late 2019 and had just polished his newly formed strategic plan and budget when 2020, March 2020, really hit him and his team. And during the conversation, we get to talk about how they pivoted, how they've learned how to cut back step up and also still thrive and not to ruin the story, but they're up 25% over what their goal was six months in. It's an incredible opportunity to hear how he's helping lead his team through the current times and really focusing on the future, but also not neglecting the past. Jake is a brilliant communicator and an amazing leader. So let's dive in. Jake, I know you're currently the executive director at Bloodwater, and from what I know, this is your second stint at Bloodwater, but I'm also curious, like, you know, what was kind of the swiggle or the path that you took to even get to Bloodwater, and then kind of what pushed you into kind of the leadership role at Bloodwater that you're in now? Yeah, great question. Uh, Like most folks, I would say that are in nonprofit work, uh, you don't start out on that path uh, to be the executive director for nonprofit. So I actually began my career um, in development at the University of Tennessee Athletic Department. I wanted to be a college athletic director and looked around the landscape and thought the best way to do that is to raise money and you can get to the top the quickest. So was in college athletics for four or five years and, and loved the work and loved the fundraising and relationships that are built on the college athletic side of things. But I learned pretty quickly that the lifestyle was not one that probably was going to be conducive to me or my family long-term. So uh, began to think about how do I use these skills that I have acquired in fundraising and what does that look like long-term outside of college athletics? And had a sister that, that was living in Africa at the time teaching school and really just on a whim went to visit her. And like a lot of folks, I'm sure have those experience where uh, kind of the reality of, of the world's kind of smacks you in the face uh, in terms of what you've been exposed to. And I left there and felt the calling that if I was going to be a fundraiser, um, quote unquote, for the rest of my life, I uh, wanted to do it uh, for something that I felt called to specifically missionally and really had a, I really loved Africa and the people there. So um, began to then step into some nonprofit work um, that were in, in fundraising, uh, that were doing work in Africa specifically. And uh, around that same time, a former boss of mine who was the athletic director at the University of Tennessee uh, left there and became uh, an executive director at a Bloodwater Mission, where I am now. And he asked uh, me to join him in a fundraising role at Bloodwater in 2012. So um, I joined Bloodwater in 2012 through 17, was director of mission. Uh, ultimately was uh, kind of landed as the director of development and marketing. Um, 
And in 2017, we went through an executive director uh, transition. And I did not at that time feel like I was being called into that position as the executive director at Bloodwater. Uh, I'd been there for five years um, and felt like uh, we needed uh, kind of a new leadership vision. Didn't feel like I could effectively do that as someone who'd been there for a while and kind of wanted to, to let somebody in come in and take that. So I stepped uh, I stepped down from the organization for a couple of years and did some development work locally um, here in Nashville and did that enjoyed enjoyed the work, but always felt kind of called back into uh, work in Africa specifically. So mid uh, mid last year, I would say October of 2019, uh, the Bloodwater Board of Directors called me and asked if I'd be interested in coming back as the executive director. And I had kind of gone through some vocational searching and wanted to move from uh, a development role specifically to more of a leadership role within an organization and uh, was thrilled to be able to come back to Bloodwater uh, last fall. So stepped back in in October. We got through year end, and I was I was looking uh, ready and fired up for what 2020 had in store. And uh, of course, none of us could ever predicted what has happened. But uh, um, it has been a challenging but fun year, and I am grateful that I was able to step back as the executive director for Bloodwater in this season. I think it was helpful uh, in my case versus somebody that had been new, uh, kind of stepping into this. So uh, that is my journey to kind of where I am with Bloodwater and, and where I am now. Uh, and at Bloodwater, we were founded in 2004 uh, by a band called Jars of Clay, which uh, some folks uh, remember. And uh, they specifically were asked to step into the HIV AIDS uh, crises in Africa in terms of um, engaging their audience and, um, and the church specifically in that, um, because the church was not doing a lot in that area. And um, the, the band traveled to Africa and saw the, the great need for HIV and AIDS uh, care and support in Africa, but also just how clean water is a part of that in terms of uh, critically needing to get people that have compromised immune systems clean water. So uh, the band formed the organization Blood Water in 2004, uh, and we have uh, been working since then, provided clean water for over 1 million people. Uh, provided HIV and AIDS uh, care support um, for over 50,000 uh, folks at this time and have certainly gone through ebbs and flows as an organization and, and learning to be an organization that was really dependent on uh, jars of clay uh, funding uh, early on in terms of concerts and just how they engaged their audience to, to when those guys would stop touring. You know, we had to begin to make some shifts in terms of how we raise money. Uh, but we've kind of come out on the on the other side of that uh, on some level in terms of just being dependent on their touring. Uh, but we're also learning just how do we use um, uh, kind of some historical relationships uh, to continue to raise uh, money for for Bloodwater uh, in this season. So uh, I'm I'm excited about the work we do. And in this season, we've been especially relevant, which I think has been helpful uh, because so much of our work is sanitation and hygiene related. And we have for years talked uh, to our donors about the importance of, of washing hands and how that is part of a uh, kind of a healthy lifestyle. And I think that kind of went one in the ear and out the other for a long time. But now everyone is, is acutely aware of the importance of that uh, in terms of sanitation hygiene. So that's been uh, that's been important for us this season to be able to step in uh, to that work specifically in Africa and slowing the spread of the disease there. So 
Absolutely. And I think it's, it's such an important cause. I, you know, I did some work on water and san- sanitation in developing communities uh, when I was, you know, working in a nonprofit. So know and have seen the direct impact of the work uh, that Bloodwater and so many others are focused on in our world because it's such a big challenge. Uh, and it's great to be able to kind right. of uh, see that play out, but also the improvements that happen. And you're right, right, right now, like the water and sanitation kind of challenges I get maybe weren't as obvious and and many of these organizations including Bloodwater have been talking about that but now it's like you know we're going back to like public health public safety yeah. 101 because of 2020 right. Um, right. and that brings me that brings something interesting up you said you started at Bloodwater you know kind of second stint coming back to really you know revitalize and drive the mission forward at the end of 2019 mm-hmm. I'm sure you had like just put like some really nice polish on your slide deck for your team and your strategic plan. <laughs> and then you walked into 2020 with, you know, <laughs> eyes wide open. And then wh- yeah. what happened? You know, how, how did you as a leader, as a new leader <laughs> really manage, you know, early March and like that pivot, even with your team, yeah. uh, I would love to kind of hear what that experience was like and kind of some of the lessons you've learned from that. Yeah. So we uh, certainly finished, 2019 um, with with pretty firm plans in terms of a budget and our goals and, and kind of what we wanted to accomplish in in 2020. And I have the luxury of, um, and I would hope this for any nonprofit leader, having a really great relationship with our board of directors. We have a small board, it's about six folks, uh, but they're all really smart, really talented. And uh, there's a mutual trust there that I think is really helpful for both of us. So um, when March hit, and you know the stock market was in a free fall. Um, everything was closing, uh, closing, and things just looked really, really bleak. Uh, our board did a really good job of allowing me the freedom to uh, to think about the worst case scenarios, but not do it in a way that panics. But just say, "Hey, listen, let's go ahead and assume now that you're going to have a thirty percent drop in revenue this year, and uh, you're going to need to cut expenses." by uh, equal to or close to that amount. And we are going to just understand that this year is not normal. Uh, All expectations are out the window. And at this point, our goal is to not uh, preserve old ways of doing things or old budgets. It's really just to protect the organization from going under. And I think a lot of people looked around and just thought, well, this is the end of uh, businesses and nonprofits, and we will never recover from this. So um, I credit our board early on with giving me a lot of freedom, uh, uh, really a freedom to fail, um, but also um, not just sitting sitting idly by and letting it happen. It was a, really an attitude of let's try to do things differently and see what while understanding that uh, the expectations are off for this year. Let's just protect blood water and let's just get to 2021 was a little bit of the mentality that we had as we stepped into March and said, okay, things are going to look different, but let's roll up our sleeves and, and get after it. Yeah. And, and I've heard that story so many times where like March came and organizations did exactly what you and your board did, where it was like, they cut back, you know, they played out the scenarios, they kind of hunkered down a little bit. How, how did that then impact, I guess, the external work that you were doing? Cause I know there's kind of two fences here or two sides of the fence. Like one was we hunkered down and said, okay, we're just going to kind of shelter in and wait. The other said, yes, we're going to yep. prepare for the worst, 
but we're going to kind of charge the front lines now still, you know, regardless of what our mission is, like, we're still going to talk to our donors. We're still going to get out in front of them. We're not going to turn off our fundraising. We're just going to uh, refactor or re, re, redesign the messaging to really reinforce the key notes about our mission. Right. Where did you all end up in, and how does the last yeah. six months played out for Bloodwater? Yeah, good question. So I, um, we, we were lucky in the sense that our, um, as I alluded to earlier, our missional objectives were really tied to this crisis overall in the sense of, um, we were trying to do all we could through our partners in Africa to slow this spread and stop the spread of coronavirus in their community. So um, number one for us, I think it was just helpful as an organization to be able to have a missional objective that we did, we felt encouraged by, and uh, we were excited about trying to help on the front lines in Africa, which is helpful. And the other way that helped us uh, externally with our donors is our messaging to donors was able to be geared around um if they could step into this in this season and they were not going through a financial crisis themselves, um, the work that they are doing at Bloodwater is more critical than ever in terms of them stepping into this in Africa. So uh, our message wasn't um, give to Bloodwater to help keep our lights on. Our message really became give to Bloodwater so our partners can stop the spread of coronavirus in their communities. And uh, I think that really resonated in a way with our donors that we probably did not anticipate. And we tried to, um, we tried to guard against the, um, the messaging for our donors, which is the sky is falling, uh, help us, um, you know, help us sustain. And we really took it as, hey, we've got an opportunity here, if you can, in this season to step into this crisis in a really tangible way. And if you can't in this season, that's okay. Hang on, you know we'll we'll be here. We we'll be here when you're ready, you know, in 2021 when things have improved for you. But uh, for a lot of folks, uh, and I think we found this out is um, there um, when the stock market began to improve and they begin to kind of stabilize, just kind of their own um, their own quote unquote community around them and their family and their finances. Uh, I think a lot of folks then felt more comfortable about. Uh, giving uh, a lot more than we thought they would have, and um, and yeah, and we've we're we made that made that dire prediction of being down uh, revenue about thirty percent, and um, you know we're gonna we're gonna beat we're, we are uh, I should say this we are up to, at to date about twenty five percent year over year, and there have been some buckets of giving that have helped that, and that's ebbed and flowed, which we can talk about, but um, we have been blown away by the generosity, but I also understand that um, every nonprofit's message is a bit unique in this season, and, and we were fortunate to have one that uh, was really relevant specifically to coronavirus in Africa. Yeah, absolutely. And it's encouraging to hear how generosity uh, is so resilient in, in, in a right. lot of these times. And I think that's the story that I don't know if it's been told as much as how incredible the outpouring of generosity from you know extremely wealthy folks to foundations to corporations to even just your everyday donor really just giving and doubling down and realizing that there was needs in the world that were beyond themselves even in tough times to give back and so i do think there's been this surge of generosity even in the midst of kind of a a tightening down from the from those uh, stewarding that generosity to serve our most needed causes. So it's kind of an interesting parallel where there's kind of growing generosity, 
but there's tightening down and kind of a bleak right. outlook for the future. Um, and I've heard that story over and over and over again. And so I'm curious, right. like, as you look at kind of going forward or how this has long-term implications, I guess, yeah. for Bloodwater and your strategy, yeah. I know, I know we had talked previously about how they're kind of this, has been this like renaissance for you all where mm-hmm. it's like, Oh man, we're kind of going back to some of our core yeah. and thinking about not just first principles of what we do as a nonprofit and what our mission is, but even just the first principles of fundraising and how that applies to Bloodwater. Could you talk a little bit towards that and then kind of forecast where, where you see fundraising for Bloodwater going uh, for yeah. the rest of 2020 and into yeah. 2021? Yeah. So um, we kind of, we've, we've taken approach kind of in two areas. You know, there's, there's the internal approach that we have taken in terms of how we're preparing for this. Um, and we salary reductions in July. And even though we are up over year over year, we'll continue to do those for staff through the end of the year, because we just, we don't feel like there is a, an easy way to predict, you know, what Q4 is going to look like. And I think that is something that a lot of folks now are, um, are probably still going to look at and be some word about of, okay, will will this, um, will the folks who have given or have been able to give and already given, and then now we're going to see a drag kind of at the end of the year. So uh, we're still taking what we call protective measures internally uh, to be able to make sure that we are not overextending ourselves um, from a cash flow standpoint throughout the end of the year. And we've set some internal goals to be able to kind of continue to motivate the team and the team as uh, the morale has been high uh, in terms of um, the success that we've seen, but also understanding that uh, we feel like we can have a, a good Q4. Um, but what we what we have also been energized about as a team is, to your point of, we uh, when we began to rethink how we were going to fundraise this year, uh, we actually cut out a lot of expenses that we just didn't feel like we wanted to commit to and take on long-term. There were some direct mail pieces that we said, aren't going to pull these off uh, and not do these. Uh, we couldn't travel as a, as a major gift team. Um, so we're not gonna be able to see donors face to face. So there was going to be a loss there. So we were cutting out a lot of travel costs and there were just a lot of areas that we were cutting some big expenses on, but we weren't exactly sure um, how we were going to uh, backfill that with the uh, kind of communications and, and marketing strategy for fundraising. And uh, this is where, um, you know, kind of our, our long-term brand and our history uh, did us a lot of, of help and favor. So going back to the band Jars of Clay, um, you know, a lot of folks can probably remember when the, when this crisis was hitting, everything went virtual. So, you know, meetings went virtual and church went virtual and, um, you know, school is, is certainly now virtual, but um, you began to see these virtual um, concerts begin to kind of pop up through musicians. So um, Jars of Clay said, hey, listen, we're, we, are, we are home. Um, we are in our studio. Uh, we would love to begin to just do some kind of benefit concerts for Bloodwater. We don't know if anybody's going to give or not, but let's just kind of, kind of see what happens. And... Um, we were blown away in those uh, really March, April, and June uh, by re-engaging. Um, it was really an old Bloodwater audience in the work that Bloodwater was doing through Jars of Clay. And um, we had kind of um, stepped away from Jars as being our kind of main source of, of fundraising for a while because we just didn't want to be necessarily tied to that. But I think what we began to see is there was a lot of nostalgia 
uh, that folks were longing for uh, in that season. And there was a, uh, they wanted, they wanted a sense of normalcy. Uh, you know, they kind of wanted that soft place to land. And I think um, jars of clay playing old, old songs um, through virtual concerts and raising money for blood water in a time that felt really like a crazy season that became a, that became a really um, a really normal place for them. And it felt kind of felt like home. So uh, we began to see donors who had not given a blood water in five or 10 years, begin to, uh, to step back in and, and make gifts. And a lot of new donors, we had, we had kind of assumed that, gosh, we're not going to get any new donors this year. Let's just try to keep the donors we have. And we began to see a lot of folks come in through those jars of clay uh, concerts and shows um, that were new donors. And, um, and where for a long time we had felt like we needed to, to step away from jars. It's, it's interesting. This is only reinforced that, you know, a lot of folks came into our story through that channel. And, um, and sometimes you can outthink yourself and, and try to go to new things and shinier things. And what's the next great wave in fundraising. And what we have found over the last six months is, man, there's just some really tried and true, um, ways of engaging an audience um, that is familiar with your brand and some things that worked in, in the, in the quote unquote, the old days can still work now. Um, and we know we're always evolving and looking for ways to, to raise money uh, differently. But um, I think there's, I think this is reinforced that gosh, sometimes as a nonprofit, uh, go back to what works, especially in this season for us, uh, since we didn't know what was going to work, we kind of went back to the old ways and uh, it's been a really, it's been really successful for us and has sustained us. And I don't know. Uh, and so what's going to happen in Q4? Um, I don't know. And of course, nobody knows. Uh, I think we can only use the data that we have had now, which is folks, um, folks are continuing to give um, around even the same level, kind of on an annual giving as they have done. And, and we will continue to engage them as we have uh, this year, and we'll continue to ask, and uh, we won't be afraid of asking for support in this season. But um, we are hopeful, but we're also still protecting the organization in a lot of ways in terms of just cash flow, and, and we're not going to over leverage ourselves uh, really probably until we get into early 2021 just to kind of see how things have, have begun to shake out. So, yeah, and I think that like that's so interesting where you talked about returning to kind of the heart and remembering like how people mm-hmm. got introduced to your, to your, uh, uh, to the mission, uh, and to the work that Bloodwater does, because I, I definitely recall a story in my time at world help where like we had kind of a similar thing where we had moved and migrated and kind of trying to like look for growth opportunities. And so we had, you know, adjusted our messaging and kind of expanded our, yeah. you know, ideal donor profile. And like, we're looking outside of maybe what had worked because we were in that exploring phase Right. And when we really got down to it and actually started listening to our supporters, yeah. we realized that the way to grow is actually to double down on what we had been doing and almost even go back further to where like right. what the core of what our mission was, maybe at year 15, that we maybe had distanced ourselves from yeah. by year 22 or 23 right. when we were in that growth phase. And now it's like, now they're on, you know, year 28 or so, maybe almost 30. And it's like, they've kind of reversed all the way back and seen tremendous growth from that and just deeper donor connection. Uh, And so it's so interesting how that works. Um, Right, right, 
Right. It's human nature to want to kind of go to the next thing. And I think you, uh, even talking about, you know, pressures that you feel from other places or, or consultants who have said, Hey, you need to do this and you do this, that. And, um, there is, I mean, if it, if it, um, if it worked once, uh, I think we're finding it, it can definitely work again. And it's a cheaper, uh, it just, it was even for us, it was just cost effective to do it that way. Um, we just didn't have enough money to go take any big risks on, on campaigns that we weren't sure were going to work. And, um, we've just been grateful that the, 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 what, what old, what, what was old is new again, or, or whatever that saying is, uh, has worked for us. So. Yeah. And, and Jake, we've spent a lot of time talking about kind of like the impact of 2020 and even just Bloodwater shift in strategy as it relates to like messaging, really like how you all are connecting your supporters to your story and what strategies you're using. But I almost want to go a layer deeper and talk about mm-hmm. kind of the systems that you're using to do this. And, mm-hmm. and for us, like systems include, you know, people, the processes, and obviously the technology or platform side. I'm curious about the people side. Like you already mentioned some of the hard decisions that you and your team had to make uh, as it relates to kind of financial incentives to be a part of the team. Um, How have you all like still kept motivated and moving forward? I think like the momentum and like the people side of the work nonprofits are doing right now, especially six months in like constant change, obviously, you know, in some cases, working on limited hours or, you know, working on maybe reduced pay or whatever it is, but they, they still believe in the cause. They still want to move forward, but you know, we're six yeah. months in, how do you sustain that uh, yeah. commitment and drive yeah. forward on the people yeah. side? People are so important to the mission. Right. Right. And I, when I stepped back into blood water, I uh, took the, uh, I took the approach that my, uh, my staff do not work for me. Uh, I work for them. And what I have done since day one is try to equip them with everything they need uh, to be successful in their roles, but then also just be um, successful as a whole person. And uh, you are bringing your whole self to work right now, or you're doing it from your home. And as we've talked about, we've got, you know, kindergarten classes going on in the, in the room next door. And our spouse is working in the, you know, in the, in the other, in the other room. So, uh, it is a complicated work uh, environment, and we actually had some agency relationships that were doing a lot of work for us as we entered into 2021 in terms of some marketing. And and part of our cost-cutting um, uh, areas were to, to in those uh, in those relationships when their contracts ended in 2020. So a lot of those ended in in early 2020. So we did not renew. Uh, contracts with some outside agencies. So uh, the team then, uh, you know, my message to them was, uh, we have to roll up our sleeves and, um, and, and quote unquote, do it ourselves. And we have a really smart team, a really talented team. And I think, I think by doing that, it gave, uh, it gave this team a really, um, a really motivated, um, really motivated look in terms of the rest of the year to say, you know, Jake has, uh, has put the trust in us uh, to uh, deliver on our fundraising goals and metrics this year. We cannot rely on an outside agency to do that for us. Um, and and they have they have responded uh, valiantly in that area. And uh, I have done things such as okay, you need to take a day a month, um, a day um, each month for personal reflection, encouragement, 
Uh, just get away from work. Don't don't binge out on Netflix all day, but go do something that uh, encourages and recharges you. And it's not a PTO day. Um, you just need to let us know you're going to be out so we don't bother you. But turn off your phone and your email and, and get away and do that. And all I'm going to ask you to do is just um, push hard in this season and um, and let me know how I can serve you. And we're going to give you all the resources that we can uh, that are cost effective to do that. Uh, but we also want to make sure that we're cognizant that, uh, your life is complicated. And if you need to, if you need to take a morning kids to school and get the, um, get the internet, you know, working for them and and do that. And, um, and, and that's been really helpful. And even going, it's been interesting too. We were a, we were an in-office team and we've of course removed, we've gone to remote and, uh, we have daily, we have staff meetings three days a week. Uh, we are, originally were doing them every morning, but we've moved those to three days a week. And I've kind of divided up the ownership of those, each staff meeting by different departments. So I'll take a morning um, and operations, we'll do that. Uh, our Africa programs team will take one of the mornings and then our fundraising and marketing team will take one of the mornings. And they lead those staff meetings. And um, I have asked them um, uh, a mentor uh, once told me uh, that one of kind of his key principles was always to tell staff to act like an owner. And, uh, and I have used that term a lot in this season of, um, you know, it's, it's not me. It's just leading this organization and you're just following. Um, We are, uh, you know, we have a staff of 11 or so, but uh, we are all owners in this mission. And as you're looking throughout the rest of this uh, year, when I make budget decisions, I'm going to get you to, speaking to them with me. And I want you to look at these budget decisions as if you were the owner, quote unquote, of this organization. And I think that's really helped in terms of just seeing the fact that we all have a part to play the success of Bloodwater in 2020. And um, and there's been a, a collective accountability, I guess, to, to help see that through. And, and those staff meetings have helped. And we are closer, let's say we're closer now as a team than we were when we were in the office being, being actually remote, um, because we're able to kind of see each other on the screen each morning, but we, we allow time for uh, just to kind of hang out and chat on those zoom calls. But, um, yet again, things that I could have never imagined heading into 2020, if I would have said, Hey, we're going to go remote. And I think it's going to build our internal culture. Um, I think our, our board staff would have said, you're crazy, but, um, we are now sitting here, uh, you know, three quarters of the way through the year, and um, morale is high. Uh, we have uh, our, our internal culture uh, has been high, uh, and folks are um, folks are motivated by what lies ahead in Q4. And um, I've just tried to I've tried to build up their leadership, and I think it's it's um, it's helped us in this season for sure. So. Yeah, and it's definitely such a hard role. And I think the thing I keep coming back to is moments like this really reveal good leadership and, mm-hmm. and expose bad leadership. And, and I right. think that's that's something we're seeing, you know, across sectors and different areas of of the, of the space, uh, companies, et cetera, like where the companies that are thriving are the ones that have kind of you know courageous leaders that are willing to be right. vulnerable and transparent, but also make movement. And it sounds like, you know, you're, you're doing the same yep. with blood water. Um, yep. I know many are listening and obviously they're thinking about Q4, they're thinking about 2021, you know, most of our mm-hmm. listeners are responsible for 
the fundraising goals mm-hmm. for their organization. You know, that that's, they're the yep. primary person that kind of carry that weight yep. when they go home at night or maybe leave their, yeah. <laughs> leave their closet and go <laughs> into their home, yeah. I guess is a better way to say it now. Um, yeah. what two or three things, you know, advice, lessons learned, focus things yeah. that would you kind of point them to as we close? Yeah, I have always, and I, and I hope most fundraisers uh, kind of take that same mindset as I have always kind of relied on, you can control the activities, but you can't necessarily control the outcome when it comes to fundraising. So um, we have just tried to ensure that we are still doing all we can to see folks, uh, our major donors specifically face-to-face. And a lot of times that becomes a Zoom call or a phone call. Um, so we're going we're gonna to continue to act ask for those meetings. We're going to continue to ask for, for gifts in this season. And, uh, our annual fund team is going to continue to, to be consistent in their messaging and, and not take a woe is me, but a, Hey, let's, let's put the ask out there and ask for a response. So I have always been able to quote unquote sleep at night. If I have known that I have done the activities needed to drive. And then from there, you can only give the outcome um, you know, as a, as a person of faith, I'd say at that point, you can only give the outcome to God. It's kind of how I've always uh, kind of leaned on it. And, um, I cannot sleep at night if I know I haven't done the things that drive revenue. And, uh, that's when I get my most anxious and fearful, but, um, you know, I would just encourage folks to, to have a plan for Q4, um, you know, stay accountable, look at, look at your, look at, we, we meet each week as a development team to look over if we're getting our visits in, are we getting communications out on time and just make sure you're hitting the things that you said you're going to do. And then at the end of 20, at the end of 2020, if, um, if you fail and you've done the activities, um, uh, I think this year you, you know, the, the grace should be, um, you know, really sufficient in the sense of leaders, uh, just understanding that, gosh, nobody, this is unprecedented times. And, um, and any goals that we had set are are probably out the window at point, but let's do the activities and let's continue to ask. And then, um, you know, then hopefully, gosh, I, I think we talked about it. I think, um, generosity, uh, will always, uh, will always be there in hard seasons. And, you know, it's my hope that we all as organizations get the end of the end of 2020 and um, look back and go, gosh, that was really challenging. Uh, we may not have, we may not have raised all the money that we want to raise, but there's a lot of things that came out of this year that are going to be really useful for us as an organization going forward. And it's just asking, what are we learning? You know, what are we learning right now that we into 2021? So uh, those yeah. are the things that I have, I've kind of relied on in these seasons. Absolutely. Well, Jake, I appreciate you uh, sharing your story and kind of just the, you know, the ups and downs and kind of the, yeah. the, the bends that you've had to navigate uh, both as a leader, but also, you know, as a, as a nonprofit team, really, as you kind of drive forward, appreciate the guidance and just kind of the, the learning through experience. Yeah. And hopefully we can uh, see more organizations flourishing rather than being caught flat footed. And that's why we have these conversations. So appreciate it, Jake. Yep. Thank you. I appreciate the, uh, I appreciate the time this morning and and I hope it's encouraging to, to folks in the fundraising field. So. Absolutely. Well, thanks Jake.
Thanks for listening to this episode of the Responsive Fundraising Podcast by Virtuous. Each episode we've designed to really give you the insights into the philosophy, process, and playbook of leading nonprofits so that you can grow giving and build deeper relationships with the people who matter most, your donors. And if you want to dig further into responsive fundraising, we've actually put together an exclusive content pack just for listeners of this podcast. If you go to virtuouscrm.com slash podcast, that's virtuouscrm.com slash podcast, you can download a content kit that includes the responsive fundraising blueprint, which outlines all of the strategies that are involved in implementing responsive fundraising. You also get the responsive fundraising playbook, which includes 20 plus plays, which are basically strategies that you can implement today at your nonprofit to become more responsive and ultimately raise retention and increase giving. We'll also throw in a bunch of other resources and content that is gonna be helpful for you as you think about how you're applying responsive fundraising at your nonprofit. And it's completely free. You can grab that at virtuouscrm.com slash podcast. Thank you.